Everyone, welcome to another awesome day with a struggle. I'm Sean Lee. And I'm James Park. We're here to discuss the reality of daily struggles and how it's a constant no matter where we are on our journey. Join us for honest conversations as we navigate life, business, and career challenges. Learn how to accept the struggles and how it's all about the mindset. This week, we dig into Sean's week and how the Accelerate program has been very exhausting. And the hard part about joining an accelerator is that you get kind of taken out of the business and you're working on the business at a very high level. Mm -hmm. Before, without the Accelerate program, you're actually in the business. You're doing a lot of the work. And so Sean's struggle these past few weeks has been dealing with how to stay afloat with managing both. Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to another week with Startup Struggles. My name is James. And my name is Sean. We're just going to get right into it this week with Sean being in a, what's it called? Startup struggle. (laughs) Yeah, definitely in the startup struggle. With Sean being in his third week in the accelerator program, seems like there's just a lot going on. So how are you doing? Definitely struggling, struggling a lot. The interesting thing is my parents, we were talking about parents previous two weeks. My family just left yesterday on Sunday. My dad was here for like, he's been here for like two months. A, just blew by, but two, feels kind of foreign that there's like three people missing in the house. Yeah, yeah. Especially since they were helping take care of Miles and so there's like nobody. (laughs) I mean, there's not nobody. Ming's parents are watching Miles. But I think that played into my psyche a little bit. But the biggest thing that's going on is just like being really frustrated that I don't have time to work on the business, which sounds strange. Let me reframe that. Being frustrated that I don't have time to work in the business. We're constantly working on the business. And I know that sounds a little counterintuitive for some people who might be listening because with Tim Ferriss, 4-Hour Workweek, and a bunch of other entrepreneurial guys, they always say like, you never want to be working in the business. You want to be working on the business because that's where you're supposed to build up a team. You're not the chef, right, of your restaurant like every single day. You're not the cook and the wait staff. But I think for a startup this early on, you have to be in the business because it's just you and your co-founder and your small, tiny team, right? You can't not be in the business. You can't just open up a restaurant and be like, all right, I'm not going to cook or do anything. I'm just going to strategize. You have to understand what you're in first. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where I want to be. But naturally, being part of Accelerator, trying to close out our fundraising, you don't have time to be in the business. You're literally just trying to sell and pitch the business to either investors or potential mentors and advisors and trying to get them to come on board, right? To join you on this journey to help you out either financially or with their time. And it's a just a very exhausting experience, to say the least. Being part of Accelerator, there's this amazing ramp up where they have you meet with mentors called, they call it Mentor Madness. I think I mentioned it before. In the first four weeks, they have you meet over 100 potential mentors and you're supposed to select three to five out of them and hopefully you match, like they want to work with you as well. And it's great. It's just talking to people back to back on Zoom calls or even in person, just pitching your company nonstop like a robot on repeat. It is extremely taxing. And what was surprising about it being taxing, it's kind of like the fundraising cycle as well, where you're just continuously pitching to investors. What's surprising 
is not me talking about our business because that's the easy part. After like, I don't know, I've probably done like over 200 pitches now. If you pitch your business repeatedly for a while, it just becomes second nature. Like I have dreams about it. Like <laughs> I've had a full on dream where like I'm pitching to investors and then the dream included a full-on Q&A session. Like, wow. I was, I was being asked questions and I answered them. And clearly, like, that's how ingrained this whole process is in my head where, like, I can even ask myself the questions yeah. <laughs> and answer them. And so that's what's most taxing. The pitch itself is easy. Selling the story is easy, but being able to field questions on the spot and be able to frame it to that specific person, right? Every person kind of has a different context as to why they're asking this question. Right. Like being able to frame it to answer kind of what they're really thinking about, that's really the hard thing. And that's what's just most mentally and just intellectually taxing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it makes sense because in a way, even if you get the same question twice, you're getting it from a different perspective. And it's a new conversation. You have to take it like a different question because if you're reading into what they are trying to actually ask and what they want to hear, it's going to be different for each person because they'll have a different perspective, a different understanding of the business. They might even have a completely different understanding of what like the story to each person is different, right? So they understand it differently and that's probably what it is. You nailed it. I mean, that's exactly what it is because like you said, every conversation is different. So what you've previously talked about is slightly different before they ask that question. And so you, you can't be like a robot and just have a templated answer. You literally have to adapt. And yeah, it's just exhausting. And then afterwards, you have to debrief. You have to like take in some of the advice that they gave or some of the things that they said and figure out like how can we work that into the next pitch or into the next Q&A or into our business, right? Should we adopt that idea or that suggestion into our current operations? Especially with the mentor meetings, you just get so much advice. <laughs> like, yeah. It's just mind numbing. So much back and forth advice. And we made this big mistake last week. And this is in hindsight. Well, we had a, an investor meeting at 2 p.m. And then the accelerator basically slotted mentor meetings before and after that investor meeting. And we thought it'd be fine because I'm just pitching, right? It doesn't really matter who I'm pitching to mentors or investors. And then afterwards, I realized like, yes, it does matter. Because when you're pitching to mentors, you're like telling them all your problems, you're asking for help. Mm -hmm. When you're pitching to investors, you're not telling them all your problems. You're just trying to paint the rosiest picture, right? Yeah. As to the vision and the potential, and you're asking them for money. That was a hard shift, like mentally. And so that was a big mistake. Definitely, if you're listening to this and you're fundraising or doing, never like try to slot in investor meetings with mentor meetings. Yeah. And especially if it's sandwiched between the two mentor calls. Yeah. You've had 20 mentor meetings so far and you've kind of practiced the pitch to them over and over. And then you have to switch. I mean, you're essentially telling the same story, but to a different audience. And the story has to change slightly. That's right. And just how you, maybe even the delivery would have to be very different. Exactly. It's tiring. And then after you do that, you're just like, we're so expected to obviously build the business, like actually do the work, <laughs> do the work. Yeah. That's been a hard part because 
part of doing the work too is hiring. Like hiring is part of this process. Like recognizing clearly a little bit too late that we need help. And that's always the case. Like the advice we got from the get-go was like always try to hire ahead of time, which is really hard advice to take, right? Right. Because how do you know when I'm supposed to hire ahead of time? And how do you know like what you'll need them to do is going to be a match for that person? Yeah, at that time. Yeah. And so that's like the advice you always hear, but it's hard to practice. And then the other thing is they always say like, by the time you need someone, it's already too late. Mm. Like you're already underwater. And that's exactly like how we feel right now. It's like just completely underwater. Mm. I'm in the process, obviously, in addition to pitching, doing all this stuff, like process of sourcing and interviewing for a community manager. That's like a pretty time consuming process as well. So yeah, that's kind of what's going on. It's good in a way. It is. And I think most people hate to hear this kind of stuff, but I try to think of the opposite. What if you weren't underwater? What if you didn't need anyone? What if you didn't have to do mentor meetings? Probably mean that your app isn't doing very well, right? Like hiring is always such a pain. And I guess the odd way to be grateful about hiring is that at least you need to hire. Yeah, at least we can hire. Yeah. Honestly, like whenever I've heard that when I was underwater with things, it's just like, all right, I don't care. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What can you tell me differently now that will make me feel any better about this? It's funny when when you talk about hiring before you actually need that person, I kind of think about like drinking water. People say you're supposed to always be drinking water. And then if you're thirsty, it's too late. It's like by that point, you're already dehydrated. It's like, we need help. It's like, well, why didn't you drink water earlier? <laughs> yeah, thanks. But what about now? Yeah, exactly. That's how it feels. And it's also interesting, though. I was thinking about how we actually talked about this a little bit, maybe in the earlier episodes, how you were comfortable doing the kind of work that you've already been doing, right? As a CEO and as a founder, you and Servi both at some point have to let go of the work and start to do executive level things. And in a sense, like what you're doing now with the accelerator program is that executive level kind of work, right? But it's one, it's draining, it's taxing because it's very new. And you kind of want to get back to the business because that's what you know what to do and how to do it. And these might be like completely new waters. And that might also add to why you feel overwhelmed, why you feel like this is very tiring. I think part of it is I'm just trying to figure out whether or not like this is just a normal thing that's going on right now because like you're saying it's it's foreign waters or like am I just burnt out or am I burning out? But then like that prompts me to think about that whole Adam Grant book, Give and Take. It's like you typically feel burnt out if you don't have good feedback loops. And that's maybe what I'm lacking. It's like I don't have a good feedback loop. Like our old mentor meeting stuff, like we're not going to know until like a month from now who's going to be our mentor. Mm -hmm. For example, that's a pretty slow feedback loop, right? So I'm just like talking to the void. Yeah. Same with investors, but we're going to close kind of the the round, close kind of the time period, which is good. It's just ending. What's ironic about the whole getting feedback from the mentor program, you're actually doing this to eventually get feedback from them. (laughs) So in a way, you have to find, like for a lot of people who might feel burnt out because they feel that they're not getting the feedback loop, you actually have to go and find the way to get feedback first. And that in itself might be very tiring. Maybe that's the thing is maybe we should just like 
instead of waiting, I should just reach out. I've already identified a couple of mentors that I would be interested in having on a roster. Maybe I should just continue to reach out to them. Because in addition to all this stuff, like we're supposed to be sending like weekly updates. <laughs> wow. And sometimes I'm just like, I don't know what to update you other than I talked to more people this week. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you in a month what that ends up resulting in. Updates to the accelerator program or updates to your current investors? Both. Well, current investors, we should update them like once a month or once a quarter at least. But definitely to the the mentors in the accelerator program. And it's like going to school and working at the same time. Yeah, it is. And raising a kid. Yeah, I don't know how you juggle all that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know either, but you know what? Not the first nor the last. So sometimes you just got to suck it up and do it. So I tell myself. That's true. Definitely feel a lot better talking about it. On the business front too, there's like, we just feel stuck. We feel stuck because from the mentor meetings, from the conversations we have with people in the industry, from just a lot of sources, there's like a lot of input. There are mm-hmm. a lot of great ideas out there. There's technically three paths that we can go for our customer acquisition right now. And all three seem pretty good, hmm. but all three have different weights to them in terms of, let's say, like time to execution, right? Time to see results or just chance of success. Mm-hmm. Let me just give you an example without divulging too much. <laughs> One example would be like, oh, like we should go get bigger clients, right? Go try to get the biggest clients out there in podcasting. Well, that has this inherent risk. Like, there's a high chance that you're not going to get them, right? And the whole time frame, by the way, to get more context, is that we need to show some kind of result by the end of the accelerator program, which isn't exactly ten weeks. And so, is that path or that strategy going to take us to some kind of results by the end of ten weeks? We don't know. I have to figure it out first. Another path would be like just work with more grassroots clients, right? Smaller communities, something that we have been doing. High chance of getting them on board, but then like how big is our community? How big is our audience? Mm -hmm. How much impact can they actually bring to our business, to our app? So high chance of actually getting them on board, but might be a much lower chance of getting the right types of users that we need. That's a perfect example of like a dilemma because within 10 weeks, we can only pursue one path. Yeah. With the resources that we, I mean, with the resources we have right now, like barely <laughs> can pursue one, which is why we're hiring. But it's like, which path do you take? And I think the conclusion as of now is like, we need to first fully evaluate the two paths. But then the conflicting advice is like, you don't want to over engineer it. You don't want to spend like too much time just planning. You got to actually execute. Yeah. Cause f- perfection is the enemy of very good, right? It sounds like you're having a very sales-like problem where do you build for enterprise sales system where you get the huge, large clients that's going to take a two to three month sales cycle or do you do smaller SMB sales where it's shorter sales cycles but much smaller revenue, more shots to take? Yeah, totally. That's such a great analogy. Especially with like enterprise or a larger client you could spend the entire 10 weeks on it and it might not pan out. They might not sign up. Maybe one way to kind of lower the risk for a larger client is, I mean, this might be easier said than done, but multiple larger clients, right? You're taking way more shots. So even if it's 
like 10 and you only have a 10% success rate, at least you end one. And then from that one, you can get a lot of customers. But then the problem is getting those 10 large clients, right? Even finding them. Then like on the other side, it's like smaller businesses. Yeah, you can find a hundred of them, but you're spread very thin. You have to deal with each of those clients. And taking into consideration our team, skill sets, what we're capable of achieving, like what can we actually pull off? Yeah. On the bright side of all this, the silver lining is like we have realized that we have this problem versus before we had an inkling that we had this problem, but we didn't realize that like, look, you have different segments, customer segments. So clearly the sales messaging is going to be different. You can't use the same message for all of them, which is what we were trying to do, which was ineffective. And so now it's just like, we just need to plot out which path has like the highest probability for success. And then you just go with it, right? And learn along the way. And so at least we have some clarity that we need to pick a path versus trying to pursue multiple paths at the same time and feeling stuck, feeling like we're not getting anywhere. The end outcome here is to try to get more users on the app. Yeah, more super fans, more more engagement, more like heavy users. Yeah, engagement. Okay, so customers that engage have higher engagement. So like in, let's say, TikTok's case or Instagram's case, looking for people who are actively posting and creating content and building community, engaging with their community. You get to the part in the book, the cold start problem that talks about this at all that can give you some insight. (laughs) (laughs) I should probably uh, finish reading it first off. (laughs) I'm like about a quarter of the way through the book and it's one of the things that I really want to do. It's probably heavy, heavy though, right? It is heavy, yeah. But the downside of the book is there's no audio version because it came out two months ago. I don't know why they didn't create an audio version. Let me see if there's one now. I can't just sit here and read it. Oh, they have an audio version now. Yay. Okay, anyways, finally. But that's like amongst one of the many things that I've also been personally struggling with is just prioritizing the millions of things on my to-do list. There's like three books. Cold Start, there's a book from the Accelerator program called Levers that they sent us. They want us to read. There's this other one called Sell More Faster, Ultimate Sales Playbook. Oh, maybe I should read this. (laughs) (laughs) They sent this. It's called Sell More Faster, the Ultimate Sales Playbook for Startups. Maybe I should read that. Like I said, there's a hiring process. Then there's like the business development, Accelerator Mentorship Program, fundraising that's finally done. And then there's like, it's accounting season. It's like, it's a tax season. It's a bunch of like tax stuff I need to do. A lot of logistical things on the back end. And long answer to your question is no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely underwater. Yeah. But you know what? It is. It is what it is. It is what it is. I have to love what is. Just loving what is. That's the one thing I think I have not been doing this past three days, four days, or this past week since we last talked was I haven't been... Uh, loving what is. I've just been really frustrated with not being able to work in the business. And obviously feeling some external pressures from Servi and the team. It's like, you know, Archie, Shayna, the rest of the team, like they're kind of just like waiting. Yeah. And that's partially why we're, again, looking for the community managers. Like I need someone else to drive initiatives. That role sounds, it almost sounds like a brand ambassador type role too, kind of mixed in because they end up being, well, not them, themselves becoming the face of the company, but they seem to really develop the voice. Yeah. The voice of the customer. Yep. That's like really what they are. That's what that role is. Yeah. 
in one aspect, yes, they are communicating what the company's about, but what they ultimately become is they become the voice of the customer. Probably product development could come from there too. They do a lot of reach out. That's why I think we're feeling some frustration on the product side as well, because it's like we definitely want users to drive the product, not our own like speculations or desires. Yeah. But then you come back to that problem of needing the users to actually use the product and give the feedback. So you're now back to that cold start problem. That's right. It's like all tied together somehow. Well, the joys, <laughs> the joys of running a startup. I was like interviewing somebody earlier today and, and they were sharing with me this experience that they had and why like it ended. And it was because the founder, CEO of the company just disappeared. He just ghosted. Oh God. And I was like, wow, that's strange. <laughs> I've like never heard that. I mean, I can't say I've never heard it before, but that is just strange. I mean, maybe we never hear it because it those companies just go under. We don't hear that story until like later. Yeah, but for the founder to ghost the team, that's fucking weird. And he must have been going through something. Yeah. Or she, whoever the founder was. Yeah, it was a he though. And then the other thing is like, I remember reaching out to the founder of this other company that recently shut down the CEO and yeah, just never heard from her. Hmm. But I can understand. But yeah, it's strange. <laughs> Some people react very differently. They just need to cut off and get away. Yeah. But yeah, those are the struggles for me. Anything on your end? I'm okay with this episode talking about the issues that you're going through. I think mine are very, mine's the same. <laughs> Important questions. Did you have a neutral week? I did. I had a very neutral week. Awesome. Yeah. A hard truth that I'm trying to figure out is accepting these neutral weeks and accepting that this is where I am now and trying not to regret my decisions. Like I was talking to a buddy just yesterday. He wanted me to interview for this role. It was a pretty big paying role, but I turned it down. And he was just saying how, like we were just talking about it yesterday and it kind of, I don't know, in hindsight, I was, I was thinking like, I kind of regret not taking it. But as I was working through that, it was because I regret not having that income. Like I imagined what it would be like to have that high of an income. It'd be the most paying job I would have had by almost 50%. And I was just like, oh man, I kind of regret not taking it. But then I, I thought back to why I didn't really take that offer, right? It was in an industry that I wasn't really interested in. It was a product management role. And I've never done that before. And not that I couldn't have taken the shot to do it, and I think I could have, but I just had to remind myself that I wouldn't be happy. I know that. Like mm. If I had taken the job, then coming back to now, yeah, I would have more money in the bank, but I think my mental health would have even deteriorated more than what it was when I first came back to the States like seven, eight months ago. And so it's just like a reminder when I'm going through regret, when you're going through regret, one thing, it's a good thing, right? Because you can learn from this in a sense. What am I regretting? What do I really regret? Find out more about yourself. And then if you truly regret it, what can you do about that moving forward? Right? And so it's this, I'm trying to work with the feelings of a lot of regret and learn from things that I either did or did not do. That was something that like kind of brought me down, but just working through it. That's really interesting. What's funny is, as I was thinking about this too, I, I got a newsletter today from, do you know Eric Barker? He wrote Barking Up the Wrong Tree. I haven't heard of this. And so I've been following this guy for a few years. 
And what's really weird is that as I was thinking about regret yesterday, he sent an email. His newsletter today was about regret. I was like, oh, Hmm. life is very mysterious sometimes. (laughs) It definitely is. Well, anyways, I think we should wrap up for this week. I feel like it was a very heavy session. I hope you're able to vent a little bit. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it was nice to vent. But I think everything comes back to uh, loving what is. I think just lately, I have been trying to figure out how to practice it with my work, Mm. how to practice inquiry with my work. Because I feel like I've sorted through a lot of things on the personal kind of family side of things Mm. through inquiry. But yeah, work is just something I can't crack. Because I keep getting conflicting thoughts that I can't sort through, that I can't put to inquiry. Like I can't put to the work. Like, for example, like I'm supposed to be relationship building and doing all the stuff that I'm doing with the mentor stuff and talking. And then it's like, on the flip side, it's like, no, like you should be, is it true that like I should be doing that? It's like, yes, it's true. Mm. Is it absolutely true? No, I don't know. <laughs> then it's like, on the flip side, is it true that I should be just really focusing on the business and maybe like deprioritizing all the other relationship building stuff? And it's like, that's yeah, true. But then is it absolutely true? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So then I'm kind of at an impasse. Like, what do I do? Maybe that's the tricky thing about entrepreneurship is that either path is correct. Yeah. Like either path that you go down, you're still working on the company. You're still building the business. Maybe the the reason why it's so hard is because either answer is correct. And you won't actually know until it's done. And maybe it's like also about time constraint. Because I feel like Now, with loving what is the inquiry, I do find it easier to do for emotions and relationships. And I think like time and especially money or income or work where there's responsibilities for other people, right? Because when you're responsible for the company, it's like you're responsible for your team, also your customers. And when that kind of comes into play, it feels heavier to do that. It feels much more difficult to get to the right question. And then the answer could be true for either of the different paths of the way that you're thinking. Hmm. That's interesting what you just brought up. I wonder if the confusion is that we can really be responsible for other people. You're making me wonder. Yeah. And maybe that's what's causing some like internal conflict is that I feel like I need to be responsible to way too many parties. And it's kind of like that whole like, I forgot the saying, but it's like if you're like, doing everything, then you're doing nothing. Is it if you're prioritizing everything, you're prioritizing nothing? Yeah. Or if you're like, you're accountable to everybody, you're accountable to nobody, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's an interesting thought. And I, I wonder if I'm just like, especially with investors, like too bought into trying to please them or please my team or like please my partner or whatnot. So it's just like, I just need to, take a step back and look inwards and say like, what's best for me right now? Because I think what's best for me as to what I should be doing, it should be what's best for the company and my team. That's something for me to meditate on. I think that's why the CEO position is very difficult is because you're talking to both ends, the team and investors. And I think the idea about whenever you're kind of spread over multiple parties, giving you different advice or different directions to go, yeah, maybe you just have to come back to, right, like, what is best for the company? What is best for the business? I mean, that comes down to like, where you want the business to go? 
because that's your vision, right? Yeah. I think that's a challenge sometimes, especially having a co-founder. As they say, like there's only one CEO for a reason. Like somebody has to drive the vision. Somebody has to hold the wheel, right? <laughs> you can't have like 10 people hold the wheel. It's like you're not going to go anywhere. Yeah. But that's the challenge is that nobody's expecting this from me, but it's just like, all right, everyone's agreed that I should drive the wheel. Mm-hmm. And so then like I have to make the decision to drive the wheel, but then I also have to be respectful of everyone's opinions. And how do I balance that? And I think it's easy to balance in the long term, but in the near term, like which direction do we drive for the next week or the next four weeks? Like that's where it gets a little hard and hazy. So I, I know directionally we're always going to end up in the right direction. I just know because we're going to take everybody's input and considerations and whatnots. But sometimes just like in the immediate term, it's just so hard to steer. But maybe the answer to that is like, I just need more information. I can't make a decision because I don't have enough information. Yeah. I was going to say, like, your co founder is your second, right? And his job is to challenge you on times where you think you're headed in the right direction, but he has more information. And then he gives you the information. And then together you're like, oh, okay. Then it's like not completely that way. It's like a little bit to the right. And maybe that's the challenge is that sometimes you either have too much or too little. Oh, that's interesting. But like, when would it ever be enough? When is that? I think it's that point is when you make the decision and just go. And then you collect information as you go. Actually, you make a really good point. Because right now, the problem isn't that I don't have enough information. The, the actual problem is I have way too much information. Yeah, you have too many inputs. Because of all these mentor meetings, I have way too many inputs, yeah. But that's why I'm trying to f- figure out how to sort it. So, I mean, just to share with the audience, like how I'm sorting it right now is I'm just doing a mind map using Figma where I just laid out the three paths and I'm trying to work through like, all right, how would I go down these three paths? What are all the different steps I would take to go down that one path? And then checking assumptions on like, is it achievable within 10 weeks? And what would that workflow look like for that path? So anyway, we can talk about this forever, but I think that's that's a good week. Thanks for uh, listening, James. It's helpful. No problem, man. And thanks for listening, listeners. Yeah, seriously. I hope you guys take away something from this. Yeah. And please reach out to us if you have any questions or feedback or even advice. Yeah. We're here to hopefully hear from you as well. If you're listening on the Clever app, which you should be, go download it at clever.fm or just find it in the app stores, Apple and Google, if you search for Clever FM or Clever Podcast. And leave us a comment or your thoughts on this episode on what are some things that we should be looking at that we're not looking at or some perspectives we should be thinking about that we're not thinking. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, leave a little comment and see how it works on Clever. I'd love to see it. I'll definitely reply. Same here. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you all for listening and tuning in. This is Sean Lee signing off. I'm James Park. See you guys next week.